This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. When we daven, well, we're supposed to daven. There's a mission in Shabbos that says the following. The following things a person enjoys in this world and the prince, that's the, the fruits, the, the interest he gets in this world. And the principle remains for him in the next world. So in other words, the reward in this world is just the interest on the principle which you have by doing the mitzvah in the next world. What are they? Kivit of aim. Gemilas chasadim, hashkamat beis hamedrash, shachris v'arvis, getting up, doing, honoring your parents, doing good things, chesed for people, getting up in the morning, davening shachris, mincha ma'ariv, hachnosas orchim, taking poor, taking guests into your house, biker choylim, visiting the sick, hachnosas kala, helping um, give money to make a wedding, ulavayas hamais, going to ulavayav, someone who's who's died, who died. V'iyon hatfila, and absorption of 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 getting deep into your davening. V'havas shalom bein al mechavero, and making peace between uh, two friends, two people, or a husband and a wife. All those things you get the interest in this world, but you get the 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 the, ba- the basis of what you did. You get rewarded in the next world. It ends the mishnah, and that's my subject tonight. V'talmud Torah keneged kulam. But learning Torah is equivalent to all of them. To all of them. There's nothing bigger than learning Torah. The reason I picked that to be my subject tonight is that a very big gadol passed away this week and on Sunday. And his Leviah was yesterday. It happens to be my Rosh Hashiva of Shmuel Birnbaum al Shalom. And there was a very big Leviah, I don't know who was there, who wasn't there, but there were thousands and thousands of people by Leviah yesterday. In Eretz Yisrael, I heard there was a hundred thousand people. His Leviah was in Eretz Yisrael also from, it was from ten o'clock to two o'clock. And all the Gedolim in Eretz Yisrael spoke. And so I, I want to talk about Rashmuel, Olav Shalom, just for a couple of minutes. He was my Shashiva. And to understand that Tamatara Kinegad Kulam, what, what he was famous, what he was known for, was his Hasmada. So Shmuel Birnbaum never stopped learning. He learned and learned and learned and learned. But not normal. In other words, even Rosh Hashivas, you know, they have a wedding, they have this and that, so they would leave Yeshiva in the middle, they have no choice. Shmuel Birnbaum never left the base Medrash. He never left till Seder was over. He was my Masonic Kedushin. And he told my, he told my parents and myself that he would love to be my Masonic Kedushin, but the Chuppah has to be after 8 o'clock. Because he will not leave the base medrash until Seder is over. And Kachoya, my chuppah was like at 8.30 and he was, and he was Masada Kedushin. There are many, many stories of his Hasmada, which was, which was amazing. Um, I just heard, I heard today a story where, where and he, he didn't get involved in politics. He didn't get involved in anything outside the base medrash. That was, that was his world. Sitting and learning and giving share and learning and giving share. He didn't understand anything else. Someone told me a story today that they wanted him to come to their Gooda convention a long time ago. And Rav, Rav Moshe Feinstein, all of a shalom, and uh, Rav, Yaakov, uh, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and Munsi, so they were two, the two big Yudayli Adar, and they wanted to invite him that he should come. They wanted Rav Shmuel Bermount to be there. So the discussion went between them. Rav Moshe Feinstein said, I don't want to call him. So Rav Yaakov said, why don't you want to call him? He says, because anytime we call him, we're going to do, we're going to be Mavatal Torah. Because no matter what time we're, talk, we're going to call him, he's learning. And I don't want to cause the Shashiva to be Mavatal Torah. So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky said, I don't want to either. <laughs> so they didn't call him. So they didn't call him. That, that's how, that's how the Gedolim was scared to call him. Because no matter when you're going to call him, he's sitting and learning. You, you can't, you can't, you can't break up his learning. He was, he was just a person who just sat and learned and learned and learned. And, he didn't know anything else. And he was, in, he was, I mean, he, he went through Shanghai, he went through the war. But Lamaisi was in America, I think he was in, uh, 55 years, he was in Mir. I mean, a very, very long time. He was my, I was in Yeshiva 30 years ago. 32 years ago. And, what? Yeah, he did, he came to a wedding, he was learning. He never, he never, 
He never he never stopped learning. Um, so they said a story about Leviah. It's a little hard to understand, but if you knew him, it's not so hard to understand. So he told his son, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm repeating it the way I heard it. I was there. Maybe some people will be scared to repeat such a story because maybe it'll be misunderstood. But I'm just going to explain to you what his, his, one of the people who got up and said that Rav Shmuel, Allah Shalom, Rosh Hashiva, told one of the, either his son or one of his Talmidim that he's davening to Hashem, that before he dies, whenever he's going to die, he's supposed to die, he's going to die. But before he dies, he should get cancer. So the student or the, or the son said, the Rosh Hashiva's davening, you should get cancer, Yenamachla, cancer? Why would the Rosh Hashiva daven for such a thing? So this was his answer. He said, what I'm, told, I'm not, I'm not, not davening to die, he didn't want to die, he wanted to live till he was 140. But he said, whatever my time is, I don't want to go up just go to sleep at night and wake and, 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 and die in my sleep. I want to suffer. And the, the most suffering today is, 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 the, is the disease of cancer. So he said, why does the Rosh Hashiva want to suffer? So he says, because, because the Gedolim of last door, the Holocaust and everything they went through, the Gedolim of last door, though when I come up to the next world, I want to learn with them. And, and, and I didn't suffer as much as them. So I'm not going to be on that level. They're not going to, they're not going to learn with me. So I said, if I, if I have to die, at least before I die, I want to suffer. So that the Yusurim will take away all my Averis and I'll be able to sit and learn in the Yeshiva Shomailah to learn with them. So he said to him, but, but the Rosh Yeshiva lost two sons. Two of his sons, his, one of his, his, one, the son that was a very, very big in Eretz Yisrael was killed in a car crash. Another son was, was, was killed, uh, was shot by, by accident by, uh, by an Israeli soldier who thought that he was, that he was an enemy. He didn't see him, was dark, whatever it was, the story. But he lost two sons and two of two big, big people. So, so his, this, this Talmud said to Rosh Hashiva, you suffered enough. You lost two children, you suffered enough. What are you doubting? You should get cancer. He says, no. As much as I suffered, to get to see those people in the next world, I have to suffer more. This is a Shmuel Berman. And he got cancer. He said, ah, Hashem listens to my tillus. You hear? You hear how a person, where a person, and, 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 and two days before he died, so he couldn't, he was, he was always thinking in Torah. His son was saying that, I don't know, he took some kind of t- thing in cancer, they had to treat him, and they, they stuck metal rods in his head while he was up. It was like the most agonizing pain that a human being c- can imagine. And they had like the seven of the best and the biggest, you know, surgeons and doctors were there when they had to do it because it has to be done very carefully. And it's like crazy pain. And his son said by the Leviah that, that he was, the whole time they were doing, sticking these metal things into his head, he was talking Entirely, he was saying, but, but I don't understand the Indian of Psychratia. And these seven doctors are standing there like, there's no human being that can, you know, he's supposed to be screaming in pain. And, and, and here this man is, what is he talking about? They asked the son, what is he talking about? He said, this is my father. He's just a piece of, he's, he's a Gemara. He's, he's a piece of, he's a Gemara. You can stick, you can stick all the needles you want into a Gemara. The Gemara's not gonna cry. He's a Gemara. He's a shtick Gemara. That was the Rosh Hashiva. So he asked them, if he, a week before, he was very, very sick. His son asked him, so is, 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 he said, Tati, are you scared of going to the next world? Are you scared? He asked him, are you scared to go to the next world? He said, what does it mean, the next world? He says, you know, when a person dies, he, he goes to the next world. He says, what's the difference between this world and that world? In this, in this world, you learn, and in that world, you learn. He says, I'm not going anywhere. It's the same thing. What is it to be scared of? He had no, nothing to do with this world. This world was in the base Medrash, in Mir. I, I, I'm not telling you a story about something we read in a book. I live with this. I, I learned in Mir. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I told you a few weeks ago how I was there. The Rashiva got up and I was, it was like amazing to me. I watched this man. I mean, most people would have been dead. Uh, 20 years ago, he had a massive heart attack. He, he used to make a joke. They, they, he, he, they say when he, I remember it was more than 20 years ago. I was in Yeshiva. It must have been 30 years ago that he had this massive heart attack. And, and he was gone. He was in the other world already. He was gone. And he said, he came back and he said, the doctor said it was such a heart attack that no human being could have, and his heart got very, very weak from it. And he said that he went, he went to the, he, this is what he told somebody, that he went to the, he left this world, he came to the curtain in the next world to go over, and they said, no, the, the, the world needs you. The world, if you're not going to be in that world, it's going to be very bad. And they sent him back down. And, and he said that he, he, he had a, a defibrillator 
and they did an operation with a defibrillator under his skin that when his heart stopped, it would, it would shock it. Like when you, like a paddles, but it was inside his body. And he used to tell the, he used to tell the guys, he said, I would be walking and my heart would stop. And I said, Hashem help me and my heart would start. It wasn't to him, it wasn't, it was just, it just, he went from Mir Yeshiva learning Gemara and, and I'm sure he hopes that the, that the Gemara he was learning, they're learning, what are they learning in Yeshiva Ksuvis? But they're learning in, Shema, in, 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 in Yeshiva Shamayal, they're also learning Suvis. But this is, this is what, this is the level that he was on. I know somebody that went to him that there was a, somebody that was very sick and they needed a Mephis. You know, so we all go to the big Mukubalim and the Swadish, you know, Chachamim. Rosh Hashiva was a person who sat and learned all day. And, and, and this person was very sick and he gave a bracha and Mamish, or four, the doctors have no idea. So this person came back to Rosh Hashiva and he said, he said, Rosh I understand. How, are you a Mephis? You're a Mukubal? What, you know, you became a Mukubal? He was a literature Rosh Hashiva. There's no Kabbalah, you know what I mean? He said, listen, when your whole life, you talked in the Gemara, you talked to Abai and Rava, and Rav and Shmuel, once in a while, you could ask him for a favor. <laughs> That's what he told them. So you're learning all the time. You're saying their name all the time. You're talking to them all the time. Because his learning was, are you talking to them? Then you can ask him once in a while. You know, Rava, get involved. You know, go in front of Hashem. It's amazing. Such a loss that we have, guys. It's so scary. You don't understand in this room. The boys don't understand. But the void, when, it, when a gadol like this, it's sad that he was protecting the whole America. I'm very scared of what's going to happen now that he's not here. The only thing that, uh, that, that, that you can have any hope that we're going to exist is that it also says that when a great tzaddik leaves the world, it's mechaper on the door. It forgives the door. And he suffered a lot. So we, we're hoping that he goes in front of Kodesh Baruch and that, that the void that he left cannot be replaced. There's nobody, there's nobody that can replace the void. But that he should be mispala for, you know, he should be mispala for Klai his Torah was, his Torah was absolutely, it was amazing. And, 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 and he was a regular person. I said to someone, he was a malach. He said, no, he's not a malach. Don't tell anyone he's a malach, because we can't be a malach. He's a regular person. And, and when you came to this Leviah, it was packed. Thousands, ten thousand, twenty five, I don't even know how many people. And he was a person who never left the base Mandrish. He, he's the most famous, one of the most famous Gedolim of the Dar. But he never mixed in politics or kashris or any organizations. He lived in the base medrash and became the most famous person outside the base medrash. Because Talmud Torah is connected to Learning Torah, that's, that's above and beyond everything else. And, and, and therefore my share tonight is really, um, really on that, on how to become a Rosh Shmuel Bermam. How can a person strive to become, become a, a person who's Kule Torah, who lives his whole life it's all Tyra, and everything is Tyra. So, and it has to do with this week's Pasha, because this week's Pasha, we have just the opposite. This week's Pasha, we have a paro, where no matter how much you hit him, and no matter how much, how much you bang him over the head, no matter what you do to him, right, he, he, he doesn't have any rachman on Klaishon. He doesn't send us out to Makis Bechoros, when he had no choice. So, so you know, you can be Kulay Tyra on one hand, and you can be Kulay Avera on the other hand. And paro was totally Kulay Avera. I'd like, I'd like to get a little bit into this, a little bit, uh, to get a little bit of a, of a, of an understanding. I've spoken about this before, Shoshanim Kippur, but I, I need to learn the Rambam before, before we go into the, into the subject matter. And the Rambam says, which is very scary, the Rambam says, and we've learned this before, but I need this as a, as a preview to the share. He says the following, Sometimes a person could do such a big sin, or many, 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 many sins, over and over and over. That the din, the malach who gets you to do that very, he's your prosecuting angel, goes in front of the, the, the honest judge, which is Hashem. That, that, they don't give this person, um, they don't give this person, they don't give us a chance to do tshuva. Because in Shemayim they want you to die with that sin in your hand. Which is very hard to understand because we know that we have tshuva. Why would Hashem do that? That because the person did such a big avera that he wants him not to, he won't let him do tshuva. So the Rambam brings a raya, proof to this. And he says, therefore it says in the Torah of Paro, I will make Paro's heart hard. Why? Why? When we learn all these parashas, it's not fear. Everyone asks this question. It's the most famous question in this parasha. What happened to Bechira? Everybody has choice. Hashem says, let my Jews out. And then he hardens up Paro's heart. It's a little fair. It's not fair. 
even if he's not Jewish. It's not fair. First you tell him, let my Jews out, and then you don't let him let the Jews out. So, so he says something very, the Rambam says, yeah, but you have to look in the beginning of Shemot. And in the beginning of Shemot, before any, before any makos, before anything, Paro gathered his whole chavra together, and he said, let's make a plan on how to destroy the Jews. Hashem said, that's what you did. You want to destroy the Jews. Now I'm going to hit you and hit you and hit you, and you're going to take all the hits because I'm not going to let you do truth. And I think that's very important for all of us. There are, there are things that we do over and over and over, and it becomes, it's not that Hashem doesn't let you do tshuva. It's, it's a very guerrera severa. I spoke to someone, how many of you spoke to someone today? I, I'm going to go into a subject matter which maybe psychologists don't agree with me. Maybe they do. I don't really care. What, it says, avera guerrera severa. What does that mean? That one sin leads you to another sin. If I do a sin tonight, Right? Is that fear, Chas Shalom? Is that fear? That because, okay, I fell. I fell. I made a mistake. So, is that fear that, that I'm, that's going to lead me to another Avera? Hashem, that's not fear. I made a mistake over here. So now automatically you're going to push me into another Avera? That's not how Hashem runs the world, but that's what it says. Avera Guerreras Avera. Mitzvah Guerreras Mitzvah. Avera causes another Avera. And a mitzvah, the consequence of doing a mitzvah, is it causes another mitzvah. Why should my Avera at at 10.30 cause me to do another Avera at 2.30? I only want to do this Avera. I don't want to do an Avera at 2.30. So how can you tell me Avera, Gerus, Avera, that this Avera is going to cause another Avera? So I want to explain to you in something that maybe some of, some of us can understand. When we're growing up as teenagers, so we have pressures, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, we got pressures. Some of them are real. Some of them we make up in our head. Well, we got pressures. Now, a guy called me today. He said to me, Rabbi Wasson, do you know anything about drugs? I said, what are you asking me? He says, no, I don't, I don't mean do you take drugs. I mean, do you, know, do you know anything about drugs? I said, yeah, I know a lot about drugs. He said, well, I have a 40-year-old guy, 41-year-old guy who does drugs and... He's gone from one rehab to another rehab, and it doesn't help. Maybe you can come up with an idea. He keeps relapsing. Maybe you can come up with an idea to help him. I said, does he want help? Does he want help? He said, no. He said, we're going to drag him. I said, you're wasting your time. Until the person wants help, you can drag him all you want. That I learned 20 years ago in Chinuch. If a kid wants to grow, and he wants to get close to Hashem, you can help him. The kid doesn't want to grow. You can smack him over the head. You can bang him. You can take away his car and his keys and his cell phone and whatever you want to take away. It's not going to help you at all. Because the person has to want to walk to walk. And a coach, when he coaches a team, if there's a player who doesn't want to play, he doesn't waste his time no matter how good the guy is. You don't waste your time with a player who doesn't want to play. Because as good as he is off the court, he doesn't want to get on the court. You're not going to waste your time with him. So the minute he told me that this guy doesn't want, I said, okay, I can't help him right now. But I said, I, want, I wanted to tell him something which is very important. 90% of drug users, 90% of drug users who go to rehab relapse. There are billions of dollars spent on going to this rehab and that rehab and the best rehab. And why do 90% of people relapse? And alcoholics relapse. And gamblers relapse. And it's very simple. It's based on the same psychology as Avera Guerrero Avera. You have a young child. He's under pressure. His friends introduce him to marijuana. Hey, man, you know, smoke up with us, and you won't even hear your mother screaming anymore. When she screams, it's going to sound like she's laughing. It's going to be so cool. You know, or take a downer, or take an upper, or take a this one, or take a that one. So this child, this person who's growing, is learning that when I'm in pain, I reach... I reach for the smokes, I reach for the blue pill, I reach for the red pill, I reach for the bottle, I have low self-esteem, I go to Atlantic City where I can sit at a table and I can win, and I can win, and I can win, and I have to win because that's what life's all about. And that's where I go when I want to feel good about myself. I can sit down, I can play cards, and I can win, I can play poker, and it has nothing to do with my brains, and it has nothing to do with my strength, and it has to do with my Rebbe thought of me, and it has to do with my mother thinks of me. If I get four of a kind, I get four of a kind. If I get five of a kind, they'll shoot me. But if I get four of a kind... Right? Then I got lucky, and I'm a winner. 
And I walk out. I'm a winner. Even though you're the biggest loser in life, you haven't done anything for this world at all. But that night, you won $40 at a poker game. Hey, check me out. Idiot, what did you do? You were lucky. You got the right cards. Oh, I bluffed him and I schmuffed him. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bluffed him. You couldn't bluff a mosquito off a wall and you bluffed him. Right? You bluffed him. You're, you're brilliant. But you feel good about yourself. So what does that do to you? So fine. So you know what? So some people say, Rabbi Wallstein, one joint, big deal. One drink, big deal. One cigarette, big deal. One pill, big deal. It's not the end of the world. But it is the end of the world. And the reason it's the end of the world is because what you taught yourself is that when I'm in pain, that's what I reach for. Now, you're 15, you're 16, kid did drugs, they send him to rehab. Now he's in rehab, and in rehab, there's no drugs. And there's no one screaming at you. And there's no pain. There's, you gotta go watch TV and watch some movies, and you gotta get up at a certain time. But the world, you're protected from the world. You're in the full world, just the opposite. They don't let you deal with the world. They don't let the world deal with you. And I'm screaming about this all the time. I have girls that are in places, and I'm a rabbi, and I can't visit them. No! She's in solitary. She's not in prison, but she's in this place, upstate, and they don't let no rabbis, and they don't let no family, nobody, because they have the power to fix anybody. So no rabbis and nobody else. Great! So she's great in those walls, but one day she's got to come out of those walls. When you come out of those walls, you come into the world. When you come into the world, you're going to have stress. And where, where did you plant in your brain when you're 14 years old? Where do you go when you have stress? To a joint? And when you're 25 years old, you're also going to go to that joint. And when you're 35 years old, you're also going to go to that joint. And when you're 50 years old, you're also going to go to that joint. Because Avera Guerreras, Avera. Because you taught yourself that I have a place to hide in a drink, in a joint, in things I don't even want to talk about. And that's what happens, and that's why everybody relapses. Because as long as you're in the place, and as long as they're taking care of you, and as long as you're protected, you talk and want to be clean. But then when you come back into the world, a year or two later you get married, and you got kids yelling, and you just lost your job, and you're like, I can't take this anymore, where are you going? To the Gemara? Where are you going? You're going to the place that you did when you were growing up, and you were 17 and 18 and 16. You go to marijuana, you go to a cigarette, you go to a drink, that's where you're going to go. So... You're right. What's the end of... You're not right. But one joint, what's the big deal? Because you taught yourself that when I need to escape, that's where I'm running. And that's where you're going to run the rest of your life. And that's what the Rambam is talking about. That when a person does something over and over and over again, it becomes part of him, and that's where he goes. And he gets used to it, and that's where he goes. And yes, if you take him and you bring him into the base, Medrash, and, you, and, and the Rebbe loves him, and he gives him a million percent... Listen, it's my problem too. And Kirov. As long as the Rebbe is loving him and giving him 100% and calling him back every time he calls and giving him 100%, the guy will sit and learn. But the minute you let go for two seconds and he has to go back into the real world, he goes back to where he used to go. So the problem with doing an Avera is Avera, Avera, Avera. But on the other hand, when a person runs to, to Yeshiva, when a person is under pressure and he says, let me open up a, a, a safer, or let me open up a book, or let me listen to a tape, right? And that's where I'm going to run. That when he's nine, when he's 25 years old, and he just had a fight with his wife, and he's under a lot of pressure, where's he going to go? He's going to put on his earphones and listen to, to Rav Shimshin Pincus, or he's going to listen to somebody else. That's where he's going to run. So mitzvah, Guerrero's mitzvah. So when you put on tefillin, when you're down with Hashem, you get close to Hashem, and, and, and the place that you're in pain is you jump on a plane, and you go to the cell and you did that when you were 16, and you did that when you were 19, you did that when you were 21, then when you're 35 and the whole world's crumbling, what are you going to do? Are you going to drink? No. What do I do if I'm under pressure? Do I drink? No. Do I do drugs? No. Do I gamble? No. So where does Reverend Wallstein go? I got a lot of pressure. I got my own, I got everybody else's, so where do I go? Thank God I was a hockey player. Thank, I thank Hashem that my father pushed me to play ball. Because I played ball, all the guys around me were smoking like, like chain smokers. And I couldn't. Because you can't play a two, minute, two and a half minute shift in hockey if you smoke. You can't play a minute and a half. So I was an athlete. So I couldn't smoke. My friends were all smoking. Thank God. I was lucky. But where would I go? After somebody spills their, their guts after me today... I listened for two and a half. I, I saw people in pain like I never saw in my life. So, so, so where did I go? To go get a cigarette? I need a cigarette, man. Whoa. If 
I smoked cigarettes in yeshiva when I was 19, 20. That's where I would have gone. I would have gone downstairs. I would have smoked half, half a pack. And I would have gone chas to sick. So where did I go? I went to Mincha. Because that's where my father, I was lucky enough that I never went. I didn't have these vices. I didn't have drinking. So where I went, my father taught me, you got a problem, you're in pain, go to your room, take out a sitter, cry. Don't take out a sitter. Just cry to Hashem. So, so a mitzvah, Gerer, is mitzvah. So that's my place. That's my, that's my go-to. So that, that's what the Torah is telling us over here. When a person does something wrong and wrong and wrong, it becomes part of him. He feels down. He goes on the internet. Because he went on the internet. I didn't go on the internet. Internet is not my escape. I spoke last week. Oh, did I get it? I spoke against Facebook. Oh, Robert Wallstein. You'd think, I don't know what I, that I, that I, that I, that I said that, you know, the PLO should take over Israel, you think I said. I don't know. It sounded so, the reaction was like, whoa! So I asked the girl, what, you know my saying, if you need it, you're not allowed to have it. So if you're, you're so crazy that I, that I told you to go on Facebook and it bothered you so much as a riot that it's not good for you. She said, well, it's my life. I come home after work, I'm on it for five hours. My whole social life. It's not funny. How many of you guys are on the computer three, four hours a night? Don't answer. <laughs> We're on film. It became our life. So that's your escape. So when your kids, when there's a problem later on, instead of helping your kids, you're going to say, I can't deal with this anymore, man. I can't deal with this. I got to go on the computer, close your door. Your kids are screaming outside. Your wife's screaming. Everybody's screaming. The world's coming down. When I was 20 years old, that's where I ran. So now you're sitting there, 45-year-old man, and you're busy on the internet in the chat room, and this chat room, and that chat room, because that became your escape as, as a youngster. So, so what I'm telling everyone in the room is that, that where you're going right now to get away, that's where you're gonna go, where you're gonna go later on in life to get away. Is that a good place? Is that a good place to get away? I don't think so. And that's what it's saying. It's not chatsham a punishment, it's a consequence. It's a consequence. And therefore, Paro, Paro said, no. You know, my grandson was singing to Shem. No, I will not let you go, right? And he said it over and over till he couldn't say go. They, they, he couldn't say go. Arav, Deva, Barat, Choshech. He couldn't say go anymore. It became part of him. He can't say go. Rashmul Birnbaum became part of him. Learning title was him. He and the Gemara were one. There was no two separation. I'm scared of the next world. Is this world? I thought I was in the next world. What's the difference? Gemara here, Gemara there. What's the difference? Maybe there's, I mean, there it's better. I'm close with Hashem. You become, this is what you become. So at Rashmul's go place, where he went, he was in Galah Hadar, like people came to him with all their tsaras. So what do you think? He went to the bar on, 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 on Avenue R? On King's Highway? Oh my God, I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't handle this. I gotta go get a drink? He learned more. He learned longer. He learned deeper. And this is what we have to set up now. You're all young. Hashem, this whole class, you're very young. You have to set up now, what's your escape? Because that's going to be your escape forever. And that's why, that's why drug addicts relapse. Because they, they programmed into their bodies that when stuff is going down, that's where I'm going. You know, you teach a kid, when things are bad, take the blue pill, take the blue pill. Then his whole life he's going to be taking the blue pill. And if the blue pill's not enough, he'll take two blue pills. And if that's not enough, he'll take three blue pills. And then when he finds out that the blue pills don't work anymore, then he's going to take himself and jump off a bridge. Avera Guerrero Savera. It's not a joke. It's a very serious matter. And therefore, the mission in Shabbat says, Talmud Torah can kulam. Talmud Torah can break anything. That is the medicine. Torah is the medicine. There's, a, there's a, an interesting Gemara. I think it's Yerushalmi. Now, again, don't use this Gemara against me. Be careful, I use this Gemara. But the Gemara says following. I think it's a Gemara in Yerushalmi. It says the following. Vitor HaKadosh Baruch Hu God can forgive a person. God can forgive a person for being with one of his relatives that he's not allowed to be with. Physically, doing the worst Avera, the most immoral Avera with his sister, God can forgive you. It's a Gemara in Yerushalmi. Vitor HaKadosh Baruch Hu Damim. You murdered your brother? Because Baruch Hu can forgive you, says the Yerushalmi. V'loi vitor, but Hashem cannot forgive you. V'loi vitor, Kodesh Baruch Hu, al-bitl Torah. But Kodesh Baruch Hu will not forgive you for not learning. So everybody asks, what are you talking about? Hashem will forgive you for an immoral act with a relative? Hashem will forgive you for killing your brother? And He won't forgive you for not learning Torah? 
And the answer is, to do an immoral act, you're going to pay big time. But you can do tshuva. You're a human being, you made a big mistake, a crazy mistake. You killed somebody in a moment of anger, you did a crazy mistake, Hashem can say, I can forgive you, you have to do a lot of tshuva, it's not so easy to tshuva, but you can be forgiven. He says, but if you don't learn Torah, I don't forgive you. Why? He says, because then you're not human. The whole reason that a Jew is brought onto this world is to learn Torah. The reason Hashem gave us das, right? Why did He give us knowledge to, uh, to do math equations? No. He gave us das to learn Torah. The Torah is the, is, is the medicine for every single Jew. And I'm not telling you you have to learn all day. But you have to learn some Torah every single day. There's a, there's a, I, you know, I have this argument all the time. What is a good Jew? What is a good Jew? I'm a good Jew. Guys say, I don't go to yeshiva. So I don't learn. I give myself from my tzedakah. So I don't keep Shabbos. I smoke cigarettes on Shabbos. But I give, I give charity. And I'm a nice guy. I never lie to anybody. I never hit anybody. You know, I know some people that learn Torah that they lie. But I don't lie. I'm, I'm a good guy. And I'm like, who said who's a good guy and who's not a good guy? How do you know you're a good guy? He said, because I don't, I don't hurt anybody. I'm, I'm a nice guy. You know, I share my cigarettes, I share my booze, I share everything. You know, I'm not a stingy guy. Uh, the guys like me, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm the man. So, fine. Maybe that's a good guy. Maybe that's a good guy. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe I'm not such a good guy. I don't share my booze with anybody. I don't have any, but if I had, I still wouldn't share with you. So maybe he's talking a better guy than me. So I answered, and, and this is a very important answer for, for your life. So I tell him the story with my, my, my car outside. I have this car, very expensive car, with this crazy engine, right? 479 horsepower, and it's like a crazy engine. And my car, this summer, the oil light went on. Now, this is one of these, you know, sports cars that if you don't got oil in your engine and you're doing 110, not that I would ever do such a thing. <laughs> I'm on camera. I would never do 110. I thought it was, I thought it was kilometers, and I found, I found that it was miles, I didn't realize it. 110 kilometers is 65 miles an hour. Then someone said, no, those aren't kilometers. I'm like, oh, okay. The guy who told me it wasn't kilometers was a state trooper, but anyway. So, so you run that engine at 110 miles an hour, or even at 80 miles an hour, and you have no oil in the engine, you're blowing all the caps off. You're, you're blowing that, that thing to smithereens. Not a very cheap car, it's a very expensive car. So my oil light's going on. What do I know? I don't know what oil this car takes. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a V. I don't know what it is. A V something, whatever. So my, my brains, what I do next to my house is that big head station on I and, uh, and Nostrin, right? The guy doesn't know A, from A to Z, but I was on my way to the mountains. It was Thursday night. I wanted to go to, I was going to the mountains for Shabbos. So there was no one open that I could go in, uh, you know, to find a mechanic that knows. So I come up to this head station. I pull in and, First of all, even how to figure out how to open the hood and then to find anything under that hood is like, forget about it. But, Baruch Hashem, I got the hood open, right? So I walk up to the guy, he's a Pakistani, and I said, I need oil, um, probably three, four quarts, because I know this thing takes like nine quarts. So I figured I'll put in three, four quarts and see what happens. And I said, but I don't know what oil to put in. So they have like 12 different oils. <laughs> they have... Uh, SW110, SW150, SW210, and, and, and gold bottles, and black bottles, and red bottles, and green bottles, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's got like, there's like 30 different kinds of oil. And then there's synthetic oil, which is normally the oil that, that are, you know, racing cars, you know, good cars. But if you put synthetic oil in a car that needs real oil, mm-hmm. goodbye, good Chavez. And you're not even insured for it. It would have been good Chavez, right? So I'm standing there looking at this guy, and I'm like, well, I need help because I don't know which oil to put in. And the Pakistani goes, well, yeah, take the most expensive. <laughs> expensive car, expensive oil, right? So I said, okay, it, it made sense to me. That makes that's logic. I said, I guess so. And there's a black guy standing behind me. And he says to me, hey, man, you're buying the wrong oil. Mm. I'm like, how do you know? He says, not for that car. He says, why don't you just open your glove compartment and take out the manual. <laughs> now, here's the big Rabbi Wallace giving Shiram for seven years, right? Supposed to be a really brilliant guy, right? And I'm asking a Pakistani what oil to put in my car, right? When I got this manual sitting in my glove compartment that tells me every fuse, what fuse to put in from what company? The sugar. So I said, 
Uh, you're right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I felt very stupid. And I opened up my glove compartment, and I opened up my manual, and I went to the glossary, and it says oil. And I went to the page where it says oil. And it says you can only use S-A-W, I remember, 35W, whatever it is. Do not use any synthetic oil. Don't, do not use any other oil. It will cause major engine fire, major... I would have blown that car on 17. You would have seen the engine. I don't know, one place the car. Forget about it. Right? It would have been forget about it. So I closed the manual, and I'm, now I'm brilliant. I'm a genius, right? I'm like, okay, now I know what oil I want, you know? Now. No, he had it. They had it. Fine. Now, can anyone in this room imagine... You probably will never come to my share again. Can any of you imagine if I would have opened the manual and read it and said, what do they know about what, what oil I need in my car? Would you ever come to my share again if I did that? Yes. Like, no, you wouldn't, because I'm an idiot. You open the manual. Who wrote the manual? Let's see the front of the manual. GM, Cadillac. They should know a little bit... But I want to buy the most expensive one. I want the one in the gold bottle. I don't want to listen to the manual. You guys are telling me, Rebbe, you're nuts. You just blew a $100,000 car all over 17. You're crazy. You have a manual and, and you don't listen to the manual? Yeah, because I know better. Don't those guys in GM tell me what kind of oil to use in my car. I'll use the kind of oil I want to use. Rebbe, you, you, you're using some of that stuff. You told the guys not to use. There's something wrong with you. You miss sugar. Right? So, I told this person, you're also my sugar. You're coming to me, and you're telling me what makes a good Jew. We have a manual. God gave us a manual. It's in the glove compartment behind you here. There's a Shulchan Aruch. God gave us a manual. He said, you want to know how to keep Shabbos? Open up the Mishnah Bureau, open up the Shulchan Aruch. You want to know how to keep kosher? Open up the manual. You want to know what it means to be a good Jew? Open up Mesir Sisharim. Whatever you want to know. What fuse? How to do? Hashem didn't say, be Jews and you guys figure it out. He said, here's the manual. Read it. But this guy came and said, okay, but I know more than God. But God made you. God's GM. God created all of us. So how could you know more than him? So what you're saying is that you're opening the manual, you're opening the Chumash, you're saying, this? This is not for me. This is not a good Jew. You know what a good Jew is? I like the gold bottle. I like the synthetic oil. That's what makes me a good Jew. So we have, Baruch Hashem, we have, and we have a Mesorah. It's not, it's not a new Chumash. They didn't just write this Chumash. My father taught me the Chumash when I, when I started growing up. He learned with me Beratius. And his father learned with him Beratius. And his father learned with him Beratius. These are very old Svarim. And they're, 20,000 svarim, by 20, more than 20,000 svarim, and not one of them disproves the Torah. And every other religion, you're lucky if you find two books. The, 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 the Muslim religion has no Rashi on the Quran, or Klayakar, or Balaturim, where this word in the Quran equals this word. Check that out. Neither do the Christians. They don't have a Balaturim where this word equals this word and this word equals this word and this is hidden in this Pusik. What do they have in their library? Nothing. You know what they have in the Vatican Library? All Asvarim. That they took, yeah, that they took when they destroyed the base on Megdash. That we're not allowed to take out of there. It's all Jewish manuscripts. So, so you walk into Mir Yeshiva, walk into any Yeshiva, look behind you. Look at this from that is very small. Here's your manuals. And you can tell me it's not true? So you're telling me thousands of years of brilliant rabbis. You can't say Ramayisha Feinstein was stupid and Rabbi Yaakov was, and all these people were stupid. They were brilliant. And if they couldn't find that the Torah is not true, ooh, 14-year-old guy, hey, proof to me the Torah is true, man. Who are you, you brainless little thing? What do you know? I got a proof to you. I got a proof to you that the Torah is true. You proof to me it's not. You proof to me that all these rabbis, Rabbi Kiva Eger, all these people, they were stupid. They didn't know nothing from Abraham Avinu on. You proved to me it didn't happen. You well, proved to me that the manual, so it's the guy getting in the car, and I show him the manual. He goes, yeah, prove to me this is GM. <laughs> so it says GM. Maybe Lexus put their, their little, uh, what's it called, their manuals, put GM on it so that all the GM cars should blow up so everyone should say GM cars are no good. They'll buy Lexus. It could be a whole scandal. <laughs> Your manual is a whole scandal. 
the whole Torah, it's a scandal, it's a fake. So rabbis got together and said, hey, let's write a Torah. <laughs> yeah, guy, prove it to me, Rabbi, prove it to me. And there are proofs in the Torah, where's the gold there? Told him, he said, you're 40 years old, I gotta prove you the Torah. You got questions, you prove to me it's not true. You're so brilliant, so prove it to me it's not true. Prove to me that your grandfather didn't learn Torah. Oh, it went through 5,767 years. Here comes this little schnitzel, Chaim Schwartzberg. 14 years old. Nah! Rukim Eger! He didn't know what he's talking about. Ramay Shabbatim, nah! That Ria Kadosh, all that Kabbalah stuff, nah! Even though the guy you might copy and they're trying to learn it, right? Nah! They have Kabbalah. Christianity has Kabbalah. Christianity comes to us to learn Kabbalah. Doesn't that tell you? Are we all stupid? Isn't that telling you something? All those Meshuggah and Madonna, that, 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 whatever she is, right? And that whole Hebra of Goyim. So they're coming. Why are you coming to us to learn Kabbalah? Christianity is the right religion. So you should have Kabbalah. Where's your Kabbalah? Where's your Arizal? Where is he? Where's your Rav Chaim Vital? Oh, they don't have one. How about Muslims? Where's your, where's your Gedalim? You had one prophet. Big deal. <laughs> Big deal. Open up Anavim. We beat you 45 to 1 at least. One prophet who claimed he was a prophet. I think he was smoking some of that, those hookahs. And, and he had a dream. I'm not trying, I'm saying, so, so why are we, why are we the ones that are always defending ourselves? Why are we the ones that have to prove Judaism? What do they have already? They don't have anything. Take out a Balaturim. Look in the Torah. How a Balaturim is only, only through a Chakadish. This equals this. This Pusik equals a Pusik in Shmuel. These numbers equal these numbers. How, where, where do they have a Balaturim? Where do they have a Medrish? Where do, where do they have anything? They have nothing. They have no Mepharshim. They have no Svarim. They have nothing. They don't have a mere Yeshiva. They know that this religion is right. That's a whole separate conversation. Why everybody hates us. You never hate the stuff that's wrong. When you got competition, I make, I make plastic bags. That's what I do for a living. When my competition, right, is making bags that are inferior to me, I'm not jealous of them because I know the bags are ripping on the bottom. The guy's going to lose the order. I'm going to get it anyway. You're only jealous of things that are better, not inferior. We have been persecuted since day one because honestly, and it's been said many times, where priests quietly told rabbis, I'm a priest because that's where I come from. But I know that your Torah is the right Torah. I've studied in the Vatican. I know what's real. We know what's real. But we can't. This is our religion. We can't step out. And we're busy. Prove this and prove that and prove this. And therefore, that's what the Mishnah says. Talmud Torah, connected Kulam. But you've got to learn the Torah. You've got to read the manual. Anyone who buys something, and I happen to be, I have to say that I'm one of those guys, Right? I don't know how to read manuals. I can read a manual of a car. When you buy one of those toys for your kids, and you gotta put it together, and you got this whole thing, one, two, three, four, and this screw, and that screw, and eight screw, and the screw is this big, and the screw is that big, and the screw is that big. Forget it. I have this horse downstairs, you know, one of those horses that you get for kids, and I took one look at it, and there were like 120 screws, and 15 pages of instructions. I said, no. I can't do this, right? So what do you do? You end up saying, I'll do it myself. Listen, I can figure a big screw later. And in the end, you come up with either two problems. Either, I can't believe the company didn't send me the other screw. <laughs> I can't believe it. We're missing one screw. Either you come up with that, or you're left with one. Where does this one go? <laughs> All the time. I'm that guy. I am that guy. I can't put anything together. And every time I try to do it without instructions, I always am missing one. And I'm saying to my wife, oh, we have to return this. They, you know, Toys R Us, they gave it to us without a screw, you know. And she's like, no, just take it, take it apart and I'll call my brother. And then all of a sudden, all the screws fit, and everything fits, and everything works. So when you want to try to make, when you want to try to put your life together, and you don't want to use the manual, and you don't want to use the Torah, and you want to use just your seichel, your sense of what I think life should be, then in the end of life, there's a screw missing. There's something missing. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know, oh, it's God's fault. <laughs> and God, God, you know, the instructions, it's the company made it wrong. You know, Hashem made me different. But if you were to learn the Torah and you would learn how to put everything in the right place, then everything fits and everything becomes one. And, and, and that's what we need to understand. And that was our Shmuel Berman. Shmuel Berman, we got understand. He just sat and learned the manual. He learned the manual. He learned it and became part of it. He became part of it. He knew nothing else. This is, this is who he was. He became part of the car. The car. He became the Torah. He was the Torah and a, and a man that never went outside. And you, 
the cover that he had in Eretz Yisrael, I don't know, 100,000 people, all the Gedoyim spoke, four-hour Leviah in Eretz Yisrael, after a three-hour Leviah here. And he never asked for cover, and he never went outside, because he became part of the Torah. And Torah, you have to give cover to Torah. You have to give cover to Torah. You know, they, how did the guys in Yeshiva know that he passed away? Somebody walked up, nobody said anything. Somebody woke up and took the Parochis off the, off the Arna Kodesh. Because when, when a Gadol dies, you take the Parochis off the, because it's like Tishabov. And everybody stopped learning. And today, I was in Yeshiva today, and somebody asked me, he says, you know, it says in the Gemara that uh, when a Gadol died, when the Yeshiva of your Yeshiva died, they stopped learning for at least the Shiva, if not the Shleishim. And we're in the middle, he just got buried today. So someone said, the Rosh Hashiva would want us to learn. Because the whole thing was Torah. His whole life was Torah. And, and you should know that everyone in here, I know it sounds like it's impossible and you can't do it, but you can definitely do it in a small way. You can make a, a half an hour a day part of your day to be, to be Torah. That's the only way it's going to work. The only way it's going to work is if you make it part of you. My, my father's yard site is in two weeks. And I, I wanted to say something about him because he was also from the same cloth. He wasn't the Rosh Hashiva, but he was very, very into Tzilabitzivah. And he did not understand Missing Minion. It, it didn't exist in, in his world. It did not exist in his world. And it doesn't exist in my world. Because Mitzvah Gerarah's Mitzvah, if you're brought up that you need tefillah and, and praying is an important thing, then when you're in trouble and when someone's sick and when you need a panasa and when you need a shidduch for your daughter, whatever you need, you don't go to a bottle of whiskey, you don't go to drugs, you go to your sitter and you open up and you say, by Shmakalena, because Bokal help me. Help me, I need help. That, that's your go-to. My father's go-to, and he went through a lot of stuff in life. My father's go-to was tefillah. He never missed Minion. I told you guys one of the most famous stories of my father was, he was with my mother. His biggest customer was Petri Stores. It's a multi-million dollar chain that he made plastic bags for. And the chairman of the board was Milton Petrie. Milton Petrie was worth in those days maybe a billion dollars. One of the richest Jews in the world. One of the richest, richest Jews in the world. And Milton Petrie was the chairman of the board. My father's doing business with him. Goes out with my father for dinner him, his, he, he wasn't married at that time. He had this hit, this woman Hilda, whatever. She was like his, his president. She went with him, him and her, my father and my mother. Right? They went out to Luigi Siegel's at that time. It was Clark Kosher. They went out to Luigi Siegel's. He's taking out the chairman of the board of, of, of Walmart. Okay? He's taking out the chairman of the board of Walmart. And he's sitting there with my mother. And he turns to my mother. And he says, I got to go to Mincha. How do you... <laughs> How do you tell the chairman of the board of Petri you have to go to me? So he, he said to the, to him, he said, to, I'll be back in the, right where Luigi Siegel is two blocks away is, is a shul. He said, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Just please excuse me. And he tells my mother, you gotta keep talking for the next 15 minutes. My mother can tell you this story. Anyway, he leaves for 15 minutes. He goes to Damik. He walked out on his biggest customer, right? But it's Mincha. It's Mincha. It's the manual. You got it down Mincha. You can't miss Mincha with a minion. Petri Shmitri. It doesn't make a difference. Hashem, you're going to lose a deal because you down Mincha? Then there's no God in the world. It doesn't make sense. God tells me you down Mincha, but because I down Mincha, I'm going to lose a deal? Then, then there's no God. So you can't get hurt by Davin Mincha. So he went to Mincha. Anyway, it's a famous, famous story. So he comes back and he sits down and Petri, that's a little bit chutzpah, he walk away and you know, chairman of the board. So he says to my father, uh, Mr. Wallstein, if I just can ask you, you know, where'd you go for the last time? 15 minutes. Where were you the last 15 minutes? So my father said, I, I had a meeting. He said, you scheduled a meeting in the middle of our dinner? I told my father, you scheduled a meeting in the middle of our dinner? He's getting all, uh. My father said, I had to see the chairman of the board. My father said, Petrie says, you scheduled a meeting with the chairman of the board? Why are you going out to dinner with me and Hilda? My father says, yeah, but you have to understand, it's the chairman of the board of the world. That's what he told this Petrie. Petrie says, what are you talking about? <laughs> Who's the chairman of the board of the world? Petrie's a Jew. Not a religious Jew, he's a Jew. He said, God, I had to go pray. From that day on, there was no way that my father could ever lose the business as long as Petrie was alive and those stores were alive. Nobody could take the business away from him. This chairman of the board was so amazed that a man would get up and walk out on him to go pray to Hashem, he was in awe. He was in awe. 
So not only didn't he lose the business, but the business, the relationship became much stronger. Why? Because in the manual it says that you have to daven mincha. And if you're going to do anything else besides davening mincha, your engine's going to explode. And therefore, if that's what it says in the manual, davening mincha cannot hurt you. Tila b'tzibur became part of my father and mitzvah gereres mitzvah. It became part of me. And it became part of my students. And it will become part of my students' children. And it will become part of the, those students' children's children. Because a mitzvah is gereres a mitzvah. But if you don't go to Minyan and it's not important to you, then it won't be important to your children. And if it's not important to your children, it won't be important to your grandchildren. And if it's not important to your grandchildren, it's not going to be important to your great-grandchildren. And I'm just going to end with a story that I say always before my father's yard site, which just shows you how a person can become, can become a mitzvah. So I was on my honeymoon. And this is the most famous story with me and my father. Now I have to tell everyone in the relationship, because before I tell you the story, you're going to think that we had like a, not a good relationship. I was, it was, it, we were inseparable. I, I, I bless everyone in this room that you should have a relationship with your parents or your wife or your kids or anyone in this world. The same relationship that I had with my father, you should have. Because it, we were inseparable. There was nothing in my life that, and, and I'm not a, a, a mama baby, you understand? There was nothing in my life, my business, my sports, my teaching. There was nothing that I didn't share with him that he wasn't behind me, that he didn't cause. He was the reason I'm here today, that I'm teaching you. And he was, a, he was, a, he was in the, the 102nd uh, Airborne Diver- Division of the United States Army. He was a man who brought us up with a lot of love, but also there was consequence. It was a big word. There was no, in the, in the army, there was no such word as I can't. If you say I can't, then you ended up running with an 80 pound pack on your back through the, through the Georgian jungle by yourself falling into holes. There was no such word as I can't. I won't, you're gonna get it for it. But I can't, that doesn't exist. In my house, I can't doesn't, didn't exist. Didn't exist. I can't. You can do anything that you put your head to. That's what he, and he always said, and when you do it, do it right. But don't do it at all. That's how I was brought up. And that's why I teach the way I teach. And I was extremely close to him, inseparable. And I get married, and I want to go on a honeymoon. So I figured in my head that right now we don't have to look at the manual because I'm married. It's like a little different. And Shalom Bayesh, you know, all the excuses the Yetzirah gives you. Shalom Bayesh. So I'm going with my wife to the Bahamas. Me and my wife, we're going to the Bahamas. It's a honeymoon. Beautiful. I don't tell my father where I'm going. He's in Florida. And I, I'm going to the Bahamas. I go to the Bahamas. We take this, in those days, it was Eastern Airlines. We take Eastern Airlines, me and my wife. Now you have to remember, it's our first honeymoon. We just got married. She's 17 and a half. I'm 20. Okay? We're kids. It's party in the Bahamas. We're going to the Bahamas. We're going to have the best time in the world, right? We're all excited. We packed up. I got my, you know, Bermuda shorts. I got my, my suntan oil. You're excited. You just got married. This is going to be great, right? Okay. I come to the Bahamas, and we check into the hotel. Okay, it wasn't exactly a very nice hotel, but, you know, it's the Bahamas, and we're away, and we're free, and I'm away. My phone rings. I just got there. This is my wife. She doesn't know my father. She knows him for two months, three months. She doesn't know him a long time. We get to the Bahamas. The phone rings. My father. I'm like, no, no, sorry. I called him. I called him in, in, in to say goodnight because he was in, in, in Miami. I called him. I said, Dad, I just want to say goodnight. We're here and everything's okay. He says, where are you? <laughs> I'm like, eh, I'm with Esther, you know, whatever. We're on, we're on a honeymoon. He says, no, but where are you? I'm like, in the Bahamas. And it just gets quiet. And all of a sudden, my father says, the Bahamas, I take it that there's a minion there. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Dad. I'm on my honeymoon. I'm going to be. I'm going to be in Miami for Shabbos. It's just four days. I'm going to daven to be As I could have told him that that, that that I became a Christian. <laughs> I probably would have been just as good. All of a sudden, he says, "Did you just say you're not going to Minion the next four days? That there's no Minion there?" I'm like, "Yeah." He says, "Listen to me very carefully." This is exactly how he said it. Listen to me very carefully. I'm like, this is not good. And my wife's sitting on, you know, sitting there like, how's it going? Like, you know. <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on on the phone. Like, you know. You know, let me talk to your father. And, and 
And my father says, I'm telling you right now that if you're not by Shachris tomorrow morning in Miami, if you're not by Shachris, you're no longer my son. Snap, phone down. Now, okay, you don't get along with your father, that could happen. You don't understand. This is, this is, this never, this is not the relationship I had with him. He hung up the phone on me. I was like, whoa. And my wife's like, what did he say? I'm like, um, I don't know how to break this to you, Esty, but I think we need to be in Miami tomorrow morning for chakras. <laughs> <laughs> now, you understand, we just got there on our honeymoon. Everything's paid for. We're all excited. And he's telling me, like, there's no discussion. You could go anywhere you want. In his head, go wherever you want, but go where there's a minion. Why, do you, why are you running away from me? Go to Miami, go to Orlando, go, go wherever you want, but there has to be a minion. He, he lived in minion. Like, what are you talking about? So I called him back. I said, come on. <laughs> he said, I'm telling you right now that if you're not a minion, you're no longer my son. I don't ever want to see you again. Have a good night. So I turned to my wife. I said, this is not good. And Baruch Hashem, she's a big tzaddikist because most girls would have said, you have to choose between me and your father. <laughs> that 90% of the girls would have said that. And of course, I would have chosen my wife, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a, a, a very good situation. I said, you know what? I came with a master plan. I said, listen, let's go to the airport. Shachris in Miami is in Lubavitch, right? It's 9 o'clock. We're not going to get a flight out before 9 o'clock, but I want to at least go to the airport, call my father from the airport and say, Dad... I'm trying, I waited, it's not here. What can I do? And then at least we'll have one day in the Bahamas. I tried, what do you want from me? I listened to you, I went to the airport. So we go to the airport, it's like 6 o'clock in the morning, right? And we look on, the, we come in there, it's, it just opened up the airport, maybe six, yeah, 6.30. And, and Eastern Airlines is the only, you know, it says Eastern Airlines, Miami, 1.30 p.m. That's it, I can't make chakras. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to call my father, I'm going to tell him, I'm at the airport. I can't make shachas. And as we're walking out, this little teeny table with, with a, whatever behind it, and it says, Bohemian Airlines. Bohemian Airlines, it should have said. It said, <laughs> Bohemian Airlines. And on the stupid board it says, Miami, 7 o'clock. And I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to lie to my father. I'm like, okay, okay, they won't have seats. So I walk up to the thing, I'm like, um, we'd like to buy two tickets to Miami on your 7 o'clock flight. Sure! We got plenty of room! Alright. Right? Fine. Okay. So, 7 o'clock, 5 to 7, they say, okay, let's, you know, we'll take you to the plane. You walk on the runway, and there's this little, teeny rubber band wound up little plane on the runway. It's smaller, I don't even know how to explain it to you. It's the length of this table, maybe. <laughs> Teeny little thing with two pontoons on the bottom that run on the water. And my wife's like, no. I'm not getting on this thing. I'm like, no, Esty, don't worry. You know, so we get onto the plane, and there are six seats in the plane. The plane has six seats. That's it. It's the whole plane. Nope. You know, they're like, is there a bathroom in this plane? A bathroom? Are you crazy? What kind of bathroom, you know? <laughs> So we, we, we get on, and of course, we're honeymooners, and, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I feel very bad for my wife, you know that, but I'm like, I'm going to make this minion, right? I get onto the plane, and me and my wife are sitting together. All of a sudden, this guy walks on the plane, he's in shorts and, and one of those flowered shirts. I'm like, okay, probably, I don't know, he's probably a steward or something, right? And he goes, hi, everyone, I'm the pilot. <laughs> I'm like, wings, a hat, something, epis, you know, nothing, he's the pilot. And I'm, I'm already turning a little green here, because this is like, this is crazy. And then he says, you two, to me and my wife, you two, uh-uh, we have to get the weight shifted equally in the plane. Now, the other four people that were in the plane were from the Bahamas, huge. <laughs> I'm talking 354, 450, you know, huge people, very huge people. And they're like, okay, he tells my wife, you sit next to her. And my wife's like, what? You sit next to her. And they put me in the back. And, and so here we are flying back to Miami as honeymooners. She's in front with one. I'm in the back with the other. And Mama thought I was going to die. The thing flies three feet off the water from the Bahamas. To, to, but I made chakras. And I never missed chakras after that. That was my father. He understood that if I miss those four days in the Bahamas on my honeymoon, Avera, Guerreras, Avera, I'll never be mocked in Minyan again. Why? For the same thing I told you with the drugs. 
Because, okay, when I want to go on a honeymoon, since my first honeymoon, there was no minion. So for the rest of my life, when I want to go on a honeymoon, I don't need a minion. Because when I went as a youngster, I didn't have a minion. So now I can go anywhere in the world. I don't have to have a minion. He understood that, that you got to get back. And, and I had a great time in Florida. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I had a great time in Miami. But I learned a lesson. And I saw the love that this man had for minion that he was willing to lose me as a child. His closest friend. We were the closest people in the world. He was willing to lose me. You have to be back for minion. Now, everyone asked me, Rebbe, so if you wouldn't have gone back, he would have never talked to you again? Of course he would have talked to me again. But I wasn't willing to take that chance. And that's why mitzvah guerreras, mitzvah boys, you're young. What you do now is what you're going to do later on in life. So you got to make the right choices now. Stop escaping life and going in, into the wrong things. Escape life into the base marriage. It might sound crazy, and in the beginning it might feel crazy. <coughs> if you're in pain, go to shul at 12 o'clock, at 1 o'clock at night. Go to shul when nobody's there. Sit down, open a book, open a sefer, open a tehillim. And just talk to Hashem for five minutes. Start it that way. And then later on in life, when you have to run, that's where you're going to run. Instead of running into the wrong place. So I just want to end with um, something the Rosh Hashiva said. And that's very important on what I explained to you today about asking questions. There's nothing wrong. I, I don't want to leave you with thinking that the 14-year-old kid was asking questions to me. And I'm calling him a little schnitzel that you're not allowed to ask questions, but it's the way he asked the question. He asked the question without wanting to hear an answer. And if you're asking a question that, you know, without wanting to hear an answer, then I'm not going to give you an answer. So, Rosh Hashiva said in Yiddish, Bleitnish by Akasha. Never remain with a question. Medaf Zuchin Terutzin. Don't be happy with just having a question. Look for the answers. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we have today. We ask questions, but it's such a fast world and we're so busy that we'll ask the question, but we never look for the answer. Why is Hashem this? Why Hashem this? Why Hashem this? So I said to this kid, and this is what the Rashiva said, you're asking me, how do you know that there's a God? Are you looking for the answers? Did you, did you come to me with this question and say, Rabbi Wallerstein, I have spent the last eight years learning Torah 19 hours a day. And I, and I have a question to ask you. How do you know the Torah is real? You I'll sit down with and talk to. Because you look for the answer. But, I, but, but someone who, who just comes and asks a question and didn't spend time to look for the answer, I'm going to give an answer. You're going to go to the doctor and, you're gonna, and he's going to do a strep culture. And you're going to say, listen, doctor, you can't go talk to your other patients. I need to talk to you. And the doctor said, what do you need to know? I need to understand how does streptococci, right, cocci, which is, the, which is the bacteria, how does it spread, how does it work, what kind of cell is it, what is it nucleus, what's it? You want the answer to those questions? Go to school. Take biology one, take biology two, go to medical school. If you go to medical school and you, and you went to college and you learned all about strep and you put in all the work, and now you come to the professor and you say, I did all my research and I spent eight years finding out how strep works and I have a question. Why is this one not, why can't we cure this one? Sure, I'll sit down with you for four hours. But don't come into my doctor's office. You never learned one word about medicine. You never made it through high school. You never sat in a biology class. Shalom Aleichem, before you stick that Q-tip in my mouth, I want you to give me a four, four and a half hour lesson on how strep works. Get out of my office. You out of your mind? Come back after medical school. You know what? You won't come back after medical school because in medical school you'll find the answers. So instead of just running around and saying, why this? Why that's not fair? Why is that not fair? Look! Blightness by Akasha, said the Rosh Hashiva. Don't be happy just asking the question and walking away. If it's a really a question that bothers you, then you'd look for the answer. If you're not looking for the answer, it means it's a bluff. It's a fake. You don't care that someone has to prove to you that Hashem exists. You just want to make an excuse for all the Averis that you're doing. So, prove me God. Oh, you can't? I'm out of here. I want to do Averis. You don't really want to know. You really want to know? You want to know who really wanted to know what Hashem is doing for us in this world? Shmuel Birnbaum. He spent his whole life learning Torah, trying to read the manual, trying to understand how the car works. You can't just walk up and say, okay, give me a whole lesson on how this car works. Go to mechanic school and learn how a car works. Imagine going to a mechanic. Oh, no, don't touch my car until you explain to me how the engine works. 
Get out of here. What do you go to school? Learn how an engine works. So if you're not, if you're just walking around asking questions, well, why did the Holocaust happen? Yeah, and uh, and why do bad, bad things happen to good Jews? And 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 why did this happen to my friend? And why is this guy's a crooked? He's making a lot of money. And you're asking all these questions. Okay, did you did you did you go? Did you look in Mitzvahs for him? Did you look in the Torah? Are you looking for the answers? Are you learning with a Rebbe? No. So you're not interested in answers. You're just asking the questions, so you can do whatever the heck you want. If you want the answers, you got to look in the manual, and you got to spend that time. And if you spend that time, then what Rav Shmuel Olvashon said: "As meblightnish by Akasha, don't remain with a question. But that can fit in the, the territory. You got to go and look and work till you find the answer. And when you find the answer, you find the answer. You become a different person, and you get close to Akash Baruch Hu, and Klai Yisrael all together will find the answer. Does Rat Hashem? And we lost a very big Godol, but it says that when a Godol passes away." He's Michael, all the Avinas of all Klai Yisrael. So it could be that everyone in, everyone in Brooklyn, and everyone in Flatbush, and anyone, anyone that lives in this community, all your Averis got washed away by the death of this great Tzaddik. So you're clean. It's like Yom Kippur just happened. So now you're clean. Now you can do it. You can start all over again. Use it. Don't abuse it. Because if you abuse it, you're going to lose it. Don't stay with questions. Look for the answers. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.